It's time for JT the Brick. JT. Woo! Hey, girls. How are you? Wow, I can go in 10 different directions today. Getting to know Raider Nation the way that you see them now, it's just different. JT the Brick. I think it's so important, especially for this new generation of Raider fans. Now we got something. Now we got some guys out of the tub, out of the training room, doing what they needed to do. It calms down the energy of the Raider Nation and saying, man, a lot of guys have been missing for a while. Where are they? And now they're back. This is this is what the Raiders are all about. And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, back with you as we continue. Another hour brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence with Remy Martin. The botanist gin is what they're focused on now. Cool, refreshing. It's 90 degrees today. Maybe 95 in Vegas today. Get out to the pool. The pools are still open. Order yourself a botanist gin. You'll thank me for it. Remy Martin team up for excellence i'll see my buddy brandon cristal who's a broncos insider this weekend as he's traveling to las vegas and i'll tell you brandon the bronco fans should be thrilled they're two and one they're not playing well and they're two and one playing an zero and three team what's the vibe like in the mile high city well what's funny jt and we were talking about this a little bit based on the the texans game and then they go out against maybe the best defense in football certainly a really good one in the Niners, top three, top five kind of defense, and can barely move the ball until it really mattered. And then Russ, like you've done so many times, is able to make some magic happen. And the Niners have lost 17 regular season games to Russell Wilson in 21 played, which is a pretty, a pretty crazy stat. Nonetheless, we were in the press box saying, this feels like Tim Tebow 2.0. Now, two weeks ago against a bad Seahawks team, he had 340 yards passing and and was actually, you know, moving the ball up and down the field. They moved the ball pretty well against Houston, but they're not scoring anywhere near enough, and and the Niners had something to do with that. But you're not going to win enough games to make the playoffs, let alone make any noise, if you're only scoring 14.5 points a game, which is what they're averaging. So the reason I say it reminds us of Tebow is, one, the pedestrian offense, and then finding a way to win, but two, because we just thought we would see something else and, and haven't, but in, in Tebow Mania, which takes all the way back more than a decade, they kept winning games they shouldn't have and had a million things to fix. Now, they don't have a million things to fix, but they have some pretty big things to fix. So that's kind of what it feels like, although I think Russell Wilson and this offense will get it figured out at some point, and maybe the Raiders are just what the doctor ordered from a, from a team they can attack defensively, perhaps. Yeah, Brennan Cristal's our guest. You know, the Raiders played three unbelievable halves out of six, dominating their opponents. And then the other three, they got hammered, and they're 0-3. So everybody out here in Vegas is saying they're close. Derek Carr, we're close. And they are close. I mean, they're losing these games on one-possession games, but who cares? No one feels sorry for the Raiders in Denver that they're 0-3, but they feel like they can get this thing going with one big victory. I think this is a really important game here. A really big one because if the Broncos win to get to three and one, we're looking at the Charger injuries. Forget the Raiders, they'd be 0 and 4. And then Kansas City lost to Indy. So I think the Broncos are in a really big spot here in a division game on the road. And I'm kind of surprised the Raiders are a two and a half point favorite. Yeah, and I think the, the Broncos' offense has a lot to do with that or the, or the lack of offense, certainly lack of scoring. But what's interesting when you look at it from the Broncos' perspective, and Nathaniel Hackett certainly taking fair criticism for his game management in weeks one and two, week one obviously being on national TV, losing to a team that, that when they look back, if they miss the playoffs by one game, a loss of the Raiders, while no one's going to like it, it's not going to blow your mind. The Broncos have lost at the Raiders in years they've been good, years they've been bad. So that's not going to blow your mind. 
even though I do expect to see plenty of Broncos fans in the stands in Vegas Sunday, but they'll they'll regret that loss. Nonetheless, flipping it forward, if they beat the Raiders, they then turn around and get a Colts team that we just saw beat the Chiefs, but we also saw two pretty poor performances in weeks one and two by the Colts. That's a Thursday night game here in Denver in just a few days after that Raiders game Sunday. They could be four and one real quickly and have a little mini buy and be feeling pretty good about themselves and still have the Jets on the horizon and, and the and the Hurricanes. Sorry, the Carolina Panthers. Not sure why Carolina Hurricanes on my mind, but they've got the, the easy part of their schedule is up front. And if they can navigate it and keep figuring out ways to pretty, they'll be in good shape if they can steal a win at the Chiefs, steal a win at the Rams, games like that where you wouldn't necessarily pick them to win. That'll put them in good position, but they have to get this offense clicking. At the, at the same time, we remember, JT, the the Bucks were 7-5 and five with Tom Brady his first year there in Tampa. And, of course, we know by the end of the year they were holding up a Lombardi trophy. I'm not saying the team will do that, but they're not a finished product through three weeks. That's, that's what we can say about all the teams. Brandon Cristal, Broncos insider. He does everything in Denver, covers all sports. Let's move on to Nate Hackett and the heat. I mean, he had heat. I don't recall a coach having that much heat ever in the history of the NFL after one game who the fans really liked and were on board with. And now I'm assuming the temperature has cooled in Denver a bit because, man, he was getting hammered from Denver fans and Denver media. How has this changed the last couple of weeks? Well, the admission that it wasn't going as smoothly as he'd like and hiring Jerry Rossberg out of retirement, but a guy to help him with game management on game days. And Jerry Rossberg was there telling him on fourth and inches, punt the ball. Your defense was playing great, and he did. And they got the ball right back. And so to have somebody that can help him with just that aspect, and he's learning to streamline the communication in his, in his headset. But what, what's different about Hackett, when you look at most new coaches, they tip, typically go into bad situations, right? First-time coaches go to organizations that aren't doing great, and certainly organizations that don't have – future Hall of Fame-type quarterbacks. Matt LaFleur is kind of the exception, right? He went 13-3, and even if their offense. Mm. And, and A-Rod only had 26 touchdowns that year. They, they weren't necessarily world beaters yet. And then, obviously, we know they had back-to-back MVPs out of Rodgers. So most, most head coaches don't get that. George Seifert, he inherited Joe Montana and Super Bowl champs. He went 14-2. and So Nathaniel Hackett's learning curve should be accelerated or his margin for error should be less because he doesn't have – of average to below average or young quarterback. He's got a guy that's been in that. We, lo- we lost you there for a second. You got me? Oh, yeah, I got, we got you. You, you just cut out for a second. Uh, Brandon Cristal joins us. KOA Colorado. So you have famously got to know the quarterback since you ended up in Denver and Peyton Manning came there and he'd talk to you at practice and pick you out and, and you really had that relationship. How has it been like let's ride when Russell Wilson, you're getting that special treatment yet? How's that going? No, I don't know if anybody is. Uh, we always get smiles, right? Russ is eternally positive and optimistic, and even when things aren't going well, they're going to get better. And for a guy who's lived a bit of a charmed life, and I think he's had a lot to say about how you know his football career has gone to this point. He he just never sees you know he never sees uh, the negative in anything. He's always able to find the positive. You know we're. The, the sky is falling with the lack of, of touchdowns, and all he's doing is telling us how close they were. He's like, man, just one inch here, and Cortland Sutton comes in bounds, and, and he's got a touchdown. And Eric Sauber on Monday night, one inch, and he's right. They are that close. It's not like baseball where they say, oh, two inches to the right, and that's the home run. He's not eight yards off. He's not sailing it into the stands or throwing it into the dirt consistently. But he sees the optimism. Nonetheless, 
because we just had to, you know, we had his Wednesday press conference last week, and and we realized, okay, we've now done a few of these, and as we're into the game week, we're just getting the same. You know, he was asked about his his offense here compared to his offense in Seattle and, and what he likes and doesn't like, and he listed 19 teammates. And he's like, well, I have this, 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 and this guy. I'm like, okay, that's not a comparison. It took us three times. I asked him after the game, what can you do to help Nathaniel Hackett to make his life easier as a quarterback? He starts talking about penalties. He's asked again on Wednesday, what can you do? He brings up penalties. So at the end of his press conference, last question, I say, let's take penalties out of it. What can you do? And right off the top, he goes, well, I can always be more helpful, talk to him more, maybe go up tempo. Then he gets into a 40-second cliched pre-planned answer. And that's just kind of who he is. Now, he, he was right, and they did try to go tempo a little bit, and I think it helped in, in that long drive, the 84-yard drive, 12 plays to win it. He, he went off script and did his thing. He just needs to do a little more of that. But dealing with Russ on a daily or weekly basis is kind of fascinating, but I don't know if any of us will ever really get to know him. And maybe he doesn't know himself, right? He's got this totally, I don't say contrived, because that's not really fair to him, but everything they do, he and his wife Sierra with her 32 million Instagram followers, is for public consumption. Yes. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. How about this? I don't know how many people realize this, and maybe it's just not something talked about. Adam Schefter has the most Twitter followers of anybody related to the NFL. And then second is Russell Wilson. More than any team, more than any player, about 5'7", 5, 5, 5. 5.6", 5.7 million. He also has the same amount of Instagram followers, but his wife has 32 million. So they are this huge entity this huge brand together mm-hmm. separately and, and it's it's a lot but i will say this he doesn't put football second to anything he's still first guy in last guy out yeah, loves the game and be in there so there's that part of it but he is certainly unique to cover yeah i'll talk about it with you when i'll be a guest on your pregame show about Derek and his spiritual uh freedom and what he talked very similar to russell and their impact that he has sure. in the community but man russell wilson has a big impact globally with those followers on social media Look forward to seeing you and having a few beverages when you get out to Vegas. It'll be fun. Yeah, buddy. Can't wait to see you Saturday and then, of course, Sunday at the game, too. So it's going to be a, it. a fun Take care. weekend. And All right. See ya. You got it. There he is, Brandon Cristal. We'll see him here. Out here this week, and I go back a long time with him. He does a nice job getting in front. See, he was saying he was kind of blasting Russell Wilson, like following up, following up, following up. Uh, the job of media, media at a press conference is to ask good questions. Not make it about them and ask about them. We know who you are. Ask the right questions, and we'll see. It's, it's not easy to do when you're covering a team that's going through a tough time. i got to interview the coach on Thursday. It's 0-3. Not going to be easy, but I'm not, I'm not paid for it to be easy, hard, or whatever it is. It's an interview. And as I've told people, I'm not interviewing the president of Ukraine going through a massive issue globally. I'm interviewing a head coach who hasn't won a game yet. And he's going to win games. But this one is important. This is a home game for the Raiders where they collapsed in the first home game of the year. And everybody walked out of that building shocked how they lost. That can't happen again. All right, we go back to back. Brad Spielberger, kind enough to join us from Pro Football Focus. Salary cap, injuries, analytics. Always joins us every couple of weeks. Brad, thanks for coming on. And let's just jump in right now. It's that time of the year where some teams are really facing Big injury problems. Give me a few of those teams. Yeah, no question about it. Some big injuries to impact players across the NFL this week. I think the biggest one we've already seen some activity today is the tackles. So San Francisco 49ers, left tackle Trent Williams, the PFS highest graded offensive lineman in the history of PFF last year. 
um, is out with a high ankle sprain, could miss about four to six weeks, maybe even a little bit longer. That's going to be big shoes to fill there. And then staying out in California, Los Angeles Chargers tackle Rashawn Slater, who is an upshot third-rounder, third-year player, excuse me, um, one of the best rookies last year, uh, lost for the season, and his backup in that game gave up eight quarterback pressures on 23 snaps. Slater had given up eight quarterback pressures over his past 285 snaps. So two tackles that wow. greatly impact their offense and are now lost for a significant time. Yeah, Slater's a hell of a player. Also, the Chargers lose Bosa. They'll evaluate him. And I want to stay with the Chargers on what happened with Justin Herbert with the rib cartilage and the fact that he was in that game late. People in Los Angeles are freaking out over this topic. Brandon Staley did not protect his quarterback in a blowout loss when they had no chance to come back in that game. What was your perception of what was happening there and how long Herbert should have been on the field or back on the bench? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one because I think it's one of those tough spots a coach can get put in where, look, the reason Justin Herbert went sixth overall in the draft is we've heard he's an introvert. We heard he stands off to the side during practice and isn't a vocal leader and all these things. And then Staley said, well, I wanted to keep him in there because he wanted to stay in there. He told me, I want to play with my teammates. I don't care that we're down, you know, 38-10 at home to the Jaguars. I feel good enough to play. I have this Kevlar vest on to protect my ribs. So let me play. So I see both sides of the argument. I get why fans are saying, why is Brandon Staley keeping him in this game, especially once Slater was lost and the game was certainly lost. But I also understand how, you know, look, we want Herbert to be this, this galvanizing guy and, and have everyone, you know, kind of want to play for him, play with him. He was trying to do that at the same time. Brad Spielberger's our guest. Yeah, I think it's a big story because he's the franchise and he's coming up on one of the biggest contracts in the history of the sport. You've got to do everything to protect him, even when he doesn't want to protect himself, which is always a big topic in all the sports. The Mac Jones high ankle sprain, man. Instantly when I saw it, the replay the first time, I thought he broke it. He was in tremendous pain, and I love how he didn't say anything. He knows Belichick is watching. So that could probably be a four- to six-week high ankle sprain if, if it's a little bit earlier, right? Yeah, no question about it. The interesting thing there will be whether or not he gets this tightrope procedure, which is a surgery that a lot of guys have gotten now for these high ankle sprains. It actually gets them on the field faster than just rehab. And it's interesting here because Tua Tagovailoa actually had this done at Alabama before the national championship game when Mac Jones was on the roster, and he was able to come back, Tua was, and play in that game. And so, you know, Mac Jones has seen this firsthand at the same time Guys like Michael Thomas had this procedure. He then felt as though you know he was rushed back onto the field, and that's why he was out for basically a season and a half. So I think Jones will come back. He's a tough guy. The Patriots really preach you know playing through things, being tough, all those things. At the same time, they're one and two. They, they, their offensive line has lost some talent this, this season, and it's it's a wonder of do you want to risk his future um, you know long term by getting him back out there maybe too fast. Brad Spielberger's our guest. So Odell Beckham Jr. said he's upset over the injury to Sterling Shepard on Monday Night Football where he just came up lame. I thought it was an Achilles pop when I saw it live and now the knee here. And Odell makes a really interesting point. He said, billions made off this game. Why can't we play on grass? John Harbaugh also attributed injuries with the Ravens playing on that turf before. Maybe too padded down, too tight here. What is that like when you're covering injuries and you look at the turf compared to the grass? Uh, grass? Do you really dive into that? 
Yeah, and it, it, it is a noticeable difference. It's about 30% more injuries suffered on turf than on natural grass. The players have a legitimate argument. The NFLPA has been saying it for years now that the safest surface is a true natural grass. And, and then particularly, you hear a lot about Washington. We hear a lot about New York. Um, you know, in that MetLife Stadium, there are certain buildings that are also known to kind of have, like you said, just a turf that is prone to injury. Um, I, I, the, the players have a legitimate argument. The data backs it up. It is kind of interesting, as Odell says, there's all this money, you, you preach player safety so much, and yet you won't make this kind of one seemingly obvious fix to your playing services. Uh, let's move on. We talked about injuries here. Now the teams that are struggling, I'm in Vegas, the Raiders are 0-3, and three of the six halves, they just destroyed the opponent, and the other three, they haven't shown up, and they've been boat raced. How do you see the Raiders here? A snake pit team that should be one and two or two and one, or just when you look at the tape, not making plays when it matters. How do you see the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, just not making plays when it matters, and it really does all fall on Derek Carr. He, he's leading the league right now for us in turnover worthy plays. He has just not been good. I want to say he's 24th. His, his passing grade is 24th in the NFL. You can't do all these things, spend all this money, bring in all these talents, trade for Devontae Adams, and just not address the offensive line whatsoever. Uh, and then on defense, yes, it's a good defensive front, but the secondary head question marks coming in has had some small injuries here and there, of course, and has made things even worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, they haven't been awful, like you said. They have, at times, been the better football team. But, you know, I, I don't think it's like a fluky 0-3. I, I think they were outplayed over the course of 60 minutes in all the games. The one big thing is, and we mentioned this a lot this offseason, there has been a regression where, Last season, the Raiders were 7-2 and two in one-score games, and we talk about this a ton, but there is always regression in one-score games. It's not a consistent thing. Teams don't always win those games. It tends to revert. They're now 0-3 this season in one-score games, so we're seeing that regression right out of the gate. Yeah, gamblers told me that coming into the season. That's why the win total was at 8.5. You tweeted out about Lamar Jackson through Week 3. Let's go over some of these stats. 8.5 yards per attempt, which is third. 8% big-time throw rate. Tell me about that before we get to these running stats in the year he's having. Yeah, so big-time throw rate, it is a little bit hard to perfectly define, but essentially takes a various factors into consideration. Is the guy under pressure? Is he throwing into a tight window? How far down the field is he throwing the ball? Is it a critical moment on a third or fourth down? Or, you know, is it a down one score and it's late in the fourth quarter? So it tries to take all of these, these components uh, and essentially say, is this throw, it still comes down to the throw itself, but essentially, you know, all these various factors, and he has been nailed. He's had these, these bombs to Rashad Bateman in, in a couple games now. He's found Devin DuVernay in the corner of the end zone a couple times on some really nice throws, and obviously his guy, tight end Mark Andrews, has made a couple nice catches in traffic over top of some defenders. Lamar Jackson bet on himself coming into the season, and as of right now, so far, he is, he is winning that gamble. Brad Spielberg, as we wrap it up, so with the differential with the Jaguars here and what they're doing, and their defense is nasty off the edge. When they blitz, they have athletes on the second tier, and if they blitz off the edge with the edge rushers they already have, man, they have really nailed the draft, and I think what they're trying to do on the defensive side, or should we be focusing more on the offense and the changes they've made with Trevor Lawrence? That's the beauty of that question is you really could pick either side. And, look, I, although mm -hmm. defense just because you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Trevor Lawrence. I'm sure everyone's talking about Trevor Lawrence. And this defense deserves more credit. There's no question about it. 
Bring in Trevon Walker as the controversial number one overall pick. He has looked great so far. It's betting on traits, betting on athletic ability. They've dropped him into coverage. They've had a lineup on the inside and go over guards at times. And then Josh Allen, their 2019 first-round pick, is becoming one of those you know, top 10, top 15 edge rushers in the NFL. I thought they had some great free agent signings, too. Arden Key comes over to the 49ers, can play on the inside and the outside as well. And then now we're seeing linebacker Devin Lloyd out of Utah, fell in the first round. A lot of people thought he would be going to be a top 15 pick, falls down to the 20s. He's a guy you mentioned when they blitz. He is, he is an off-ball linebacker, but he has that ability to bring pressure. And, and almost like a Micah Parsons or, you know, a David Collins and Isaiah Simmons, those guys that – they go early in the draft because they can also blitz and get after the quarterback. We've already seen that from him early in the season, coming off injury in training camp. That defense, I think, is going to get even better as the season goes on. Hey, finally, I'm going to see Denver coming up here on Sunday, and they look terrible at times, but they're 2-1. and one. All, all I care about are wins. So I don't care about what, what you look like early in the season. Like Brady, what matters most is how you're playing after Thanksgiving. Denver... When you crunch the numbers, how badly they've played at times. The defense is very good, but why such a big struggle with Russell Wilson? Is it the offensive line or just chemistry with the receivers? No, his offensive line has actually been one of our higher-graded units, at least in terms okay. of pass protection. Yeah, not, not quite as great in run blocking, but but have been solid in pass protection. They do have some weak links, but they have some you know, very good players. Left tackle Garrett Bowles is a good player. Um, it, it really it looks like Russ. I mean, Russ is not doing a lot of the things that made him great that also at the same time people kind of use as detractions and we're starting to see it where he relied so often on those plays where he would dance around the pocket and scramble around for three, four, five seconds, then find a guy deep downfield and, and deliver some miracle strike over the top of the defense. It's not a reliable and consistent way to run an offense. And when he's not hitting those shots, then there's really not a lot there. I mean, he has been bad. He is our 22nd graded quarterback right now. I put out a tweet about him yesterday, too. He usually starts off the season so hot and so well. And even the big plays he has made, the touchdown pass to Jerry Judy in week one was an underthrown ball. Uh, Cortland Sutton has made him look better than he probably should with a lot of acrobatic, impressive catches over defenders. No, not, not to put it all on one person, but, but it is Russell Wilson's issue right now. He's just been very inconsistent and just not delivering on those big splash plays that kind of carries him and carries what he does. And we have a London game, Vikings, Saints, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium coming up here with your analysis on travel, the way the teams are playing. You know, I look at this game and let me double check. Minnesota's a favorite here. Uh, Jameis Winston needs a big game. He could put up big yards, but he's got to cut down on the turnovers. And Kirk Cousins, I don't know how you evaluate him every week. You guys do it great. The pro football focus. If if This isn't prime time. This is really early here in the States. But it technically is a really big global prime time game over in Europe. That's actually a good point. You know, all those stats you see about Kirk Cousins in prime time, I wonder if this applies or not. I guess depending how he plays will determine, you know, folks will determine if it was a prime time game or not. But, yeah, so it's a fascinating game. I think it is a massive NFC wild card picture game. The Saints have been strange. Where I mean, Jameis Winston is targeting guys so far down the field. His average yards per attempt and average depth of target are tops in the NFL because they're just throwing the ball so far. And it's interesting because you have Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry who can win underneath very well. They can separate early. They can get you those you know five, six, seven, eight-yard catches that keeps you ahead of the chains. And instead, it's just been so much downfield passing to an unsustainable degree for New Orleans. So. I think they got to clean that up, get back to the roots, maybe find Alvin Kamara when he gets healthy with some underneath catches as well, let him go to work in open space. For Minnesota, like you said, 
it's Kirk Cousins, kind of the story of him each week is, you know, how's he going to play? He can be awful like he was against Philadelphia Eagles. He can be solid like he was against the Detroit Lions this past week. But that team, I think, is also getting better. The offensive line is figuring things out. Left tackle Christian Darisaw, their first-round pick last year, has looked really, really good, which gives them a dynamic tackle duo. And obviously they have talent at wide receiver. So I also think they're a team that shaky defense, not a great overall roster, but trending, I think, in the right direction in some of the spots that matter the most. Thanks, Brad. Always good talking to you. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Brad Spielberger. Follow him at B. FF underscore Brad. He's got really good information. You hear him on other shows from time to time. Love having him on because he could give everybody a perspective of what's happening from a numbers game. And we do that in Vegas. You know, we had Jeff Sherman on. We're going to have Bill Krakenberger on. We're going to have Jay Cornegay on. We're going to have handicappers like Lee Sterling going into the weekend because we're Vegas and we talk National Football League, not just Las Vegas football, especially when the team's 0-3. I got to get some other content in here. We need a Raider win, and we'll go out to Levi Edwards. He's going to join us in a little bit inside Henderson's Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. What he sees sitting close to the coaches in the building on what the Raiders need to do to turn it around. That's where we're at, and we're also at Doghouse Saloon and Resorts World. Man, I love Resorts World. Every time I go there, I see something new and great, but my home for Monday Night Football is inside Doghouse Saloon. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Grimaldi's Pizzeria, home of the famous New York-style coal-fired brick oven pizza. It's fourth and goal inside the Titans' 10. Snap to Carr. They bring a blitz. Lobs one far corner to the end zone for Hollins. Jump ball grounded! Touchdown Raiders with 1.14 to go! He lobbed it up for the hero of the day, and he came down with the touchdown. That's just sheer desire right there. I was sitting right behind Jason Horowitz and Lincoln Kennedy when that went down, and they both looked at each other. And they weren't in shock. They're really good at what they do, but it was let's get ready for a two-point conversion. And the Raiders failed on the two-point conversion that would have forced overtime most likely. And the Raiders go to 0-3. I saw Levi Edwards not only in the building but on the road in Nashville, the digital reporter for the Raiders. And Levi, that was a gut punch again. It was a tale of two halves. And you've heard it. You've been at the press conference dominating one half, not playing great in the second half of a game. Vice versa is really holding this team back to 0-3. How do you see it? Really, just from my observations from the first three games, it's just very unusual. And this, honestly, i got to be for real with you, JT, this might be one of the best 0-3 teams I've seen in a long time, just because this is not a bad team. They have good players. They have talented players. They come out and they play with heart. They play with passion. And all of these games have been very close contests. But like you exactly just said, tail of two halves where – you have three halves where the Raiders have outscored their opponents by, you know, by over 40 points, but they're still 0-3. And when it comes down to it, once the Raiders can find their formula to put together a complete full game and play the first half like the second half and the second half like the first half, that's when they're going to start winning games. 
Yeah, and we've been talking that to a blue in the face. How, How much longer can we say it? Because I don't think you could play a perfect game all the time. Do you sense that people are waiting for this perfect four quarters? Because it usually doesn't work out that way, Levi. You play, you struggle at times, you can't move the ball, you got to punt a few times. Boom, you get a turnover, it changes the momentum of the game. I just think the Raiders got to have the ball late in the game with the lead instead of trailing and having to make all these pressure pack plays. I have to agree, and uh, that's another thing where it comes down to where the Raiders could have won all three of these games within a two-minute period. And, you know, whatever, with whatever happened throughout the game, no matter what happened through the first three quarters, first 45, 50 minutes, 55 minutes of the game, the Raiders have had opportunities to still, no matter how they played throughout the duration of the game, win, which is, it says a lot about your team to, you know, for, to show how resilient and how hard fought they are. It's just that in those last two minutes, they just haven't been able to come up with enough plays or do whatever, you know, to do whatever they need to in order to win those games on offense or on defense. So definitely they need to, no one's going to have a perfect game. No one wants to see a perfect game from the audience perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, things are going to happen. These are the best of the best playing at a very high competitive level. So of course you, you're not going to play completely, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect game. However, the Raiders just need to find ways to make more plays than the opposition. And I know that's, you know, of course, Levi, that's exactly, you know, how you win games. You have to make plays. But in the Raiders' case, there's times where they're one or two plays away from winning these games, one or two yep. plays away from being potentially 3-0. and So it's just a very unusual season. It is very unusual. That's the best way to say it. It's highly unusual what's happening to the Raiders with these losses. Levi Edwards joins us inside the Raider facility, the digital reporter. Find all his content at Raiders.com. So what I've been saying with all three games, Levi, is that uncharacteristic games for individual players. Hunter fumbling twice, one for the soup and score. Uncharacteristic of him. And then Darren Waller having the two drops in the last game because Darren's a hell of a player. And he had a couple of drops, and everybody's been talking about it. And I want to see what he does in this next game. I want to see him put the drops behind him, catch a big ball or two early in the game, real early in the game, get his momentum back so he can dominate again. I definitely agree. As for those those moments, uh, for Hunter, uh, of course, he's still overcoming his concussion. And on Mm. his second fumble, that essentially lost the Raiders the game. I'll give Isaiah Simmons more credit on the hit then I will give Hunter Renfro blame for mm-hmm. the fumble. Fair. That's just a hell of a hit. As for Darren Waller, he did not have the best game when you look at it. There are times where, you know, Derek could have, you know, maybe thrown him like a, a little bit of a better ball at times. But for the most part, all of the balls that uh, Waller did drop were very catchable balls. And so you can't, you know, you just had a bad day. Uh, that's what it comes down to. But, even the best of the best still have bad days, and that's what Darren Waller is in this league as a tight end. He's uh, one of the best of the best, and I just don't see him really letting this game consume him or letting the missed opportunities consume him. Uh, it It's in the past, and even with how Darren Waller, you know, had his missed opportunities, Derek was still able to find Matt Collins a lot, and he was able to contribute. He was able to find – you know, Devontae, and he contributed. So it, it definitely, no matter what happens throughout the duration of the game, it's still a group effort. So 
I would love to see how Darren Waller responds to this. Yes, responding is key. Levi Edwards, one more. Levi, I really think a big issue so far this year, it's no excuse, but it's an issue, is the fact that the spine of the defense, the middle of the defense, which is Perryman at middle linebacker and Trayvon Merrick at free safety, they've missed two out of three games, and that's big in deep coverage. It's big with calling the defense with Perryman, stuffing the gaps, making plays. I've been seeing players run wide open across the middle of the field, and when Perryman's there, I think he sends a message, I'm going to take your head off, I'm going to hit you hard. I think that is vastly missing from this team as a leader like this. I don't expect you to know when he's coming back. We'll wait for the injury report, but the significance of the middle of that defense and how they got to clean it up against the Broncos. Oh, yes, most definitely, especially when you were talking about uh, Trayvon Merrick being hurt. Trayvon Merrick uh, has done, in my opinion, a, a stellar job of being a deep safety and also being very versatile in where they, and they put him. And you have a quarterback coming up like Russell Wilson who – has one of the best deep balls in the league. Uh, he can take he can take the top off of a defense, and, and that's what Trayvon Mary excels at is taking away those big plays like mm-hmm. that. So uh, Trayvon, he made some progress. He uh, did a little limited of a practice last week, as well as the fact that he traveled with the team and he did warm up before the Titans game, and he just wasn't able to 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 play they just kind of ruled him out so i think that a good week of practice you know will will be able to see him and he'll be extremely pivotal against the broncos in this game as well as denzel who's one of the not you know the best leader i would say i wouldn't say besides what he brings on the field with his play he's one of the top leaders of this team like you were just saying jt with just how he's able to call the plays how he's able to bring a lot of energy along with Max Crosby in just terms of being like, okay, calm down, let's have fun, let's ride. You know, no offense to Russell, but that, that's the kind of that's the kind of energy he brings. So, more than anything, Denzel is pivotal in that regard. So, I am extremely looking forward to seeing those two return whenever that may yeah. be, and they will be extremely beneficial for this defense. No doubt. They need those guys back. Levi Edwards at the L-E-V-I-E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Give him a follow. We did the last time. He was before 10,000. Now he's got 10.5. You'll get good information on social media and Twitter from him. See you at the game, Levi. Thank you. I'll see you, JC. I appreciate you. You got it. Levi Edwards joining us. We're bringing on younger, newer guys here and there, and we think it's important. For this show long term, let alone now. they got good information. They're inside the building. And you're going to be hearing them more and more on the radio like you do Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Raiders, who's in for me tomorrow. A big corporate event for the Raiders and one of their proud partners tomorrow at Allegiant Stadium that I'm emceeing. Harry will be in for me. He has a jam-packed show. And I'll be back on Thursday. When we come back, we'll talk to my friend Sam from Sam and Ash Injury Law. He's got a nice announcement on a victory. That we'll talk about. You got to win. You have an attorney. You got to win. You can't lose. That's all we're talking about this week getting a win. And what will it take for the Raiders to get a win? So that's where we're at. Good shows all week long. The pregame is going to be special. Special pregame live from the torch. We got a couple of great players, including two Hall of Famers confirmed. So get your beverage and get up to the torch on the 200 level. Hang out with us for the pregame. 
Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Remy Martin, the official cognac of the JT The Brick Show. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Fiala, left circle, passes right, top of the umbrella, back to the left. Fiala changing places, a shot from the right wing, they score, and Los Angeles wins in overtime. Adrian Kempe from the right dot, the lefty rips it home past Aiden Hill. They win it with a power play goal in overtime. Final score, Kings 2, Golden Knights 1. Oh, Bobby runs the hockey broadcast, so he'll play some hockey here, and I love hockey. I don't know what to say about the Golden Knights. I need a deep dive. Me and my buddy Sam from Sam and Ash Injury Law. Sam, we got to go out and get a beer and get the mojo going now. Get the Raiders to win. Get the vibe back for the Golden Knights. You up for that, my bud? How are do you? Do we ever? Do we ever, JT? We've got to. We've got to get out there and, and get the get the positivity flowing. Absolutely. Now you're a team with Ashley, Sam and Ash. But Ashley just had a big win, and I know that you guys love victories. That's what you do. You win as personal injury attorneys. Tell us about that award-winning big number for Ashley. What happened there? Well, first off, uh, great to be here and back with you, JT. It's been a while, and I'm, I always enjoy our visits. Uh, so, yeah, you're bringing this up. We were talking about this during the break. So, Ash is a tremendous lawyer, and she's been working on this case tenaciously, and it was a tough tough case defense on it i can't get into too many details defense on it was offering literally zero dollars and we had trial coming up in october next month and so ashley was busy you know clearing her whole calendar which is what we lawyers have to do when it's down to the wire and uh, the court ordered a mediation which is pretty typical on Mm -hmm. on cases and and she went in one day from zero to $2.7 million for our client. And I'll tell you, the client is over the moon. This is a case where a jury very well could have come back with, with nothing. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, it's a, like I mentioned, it's a tough case. So, con, you know, within what the facts were, this could not have been a better result. And I'm so proud of her and, and the hard work she's putting on She this. is fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that. Sam and Ash, Sam and Ash Injury Law, making injury law work for you. I want to jump in here because it's not so much a personal injury case as what I'm seeing in the airline industry with fights that are happening inside the terminal, but especially the ones on the flight. And one of my listeners asked me to ask you, what happens if you're on a flight and there's a whack job that attacks a flight attendant or does something and you, as just a passenger on the flight, say, I'm going to protect everybody else and jump on them, get them down, do something to help. Could you be in a position where you're fighting in court because you might have injured that person trying to save everybody on the plane? Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I think a lot of people wonder that, because, and, and most people then just stand back and don't do anything right. because there's a fear of of of, of uh, you know getting entangled. the The reality is is that you're you, you know you definitely can always get sued. The law probably will will end up on your side depending on the facts, right? So if you're just restraining the person, uh, you're t- I think you're absolutely in the clear. If you come in and begin throwing punches and engage in combat with the attacker, you're suddenly, I think, in some, some gray area that you don't want to be in. So my recommendation, first off, is you know don't engage with people on airplanes. Don't get into it. Don't, uh, don't, it's not worth it, right? People are going in on a hair trigger these days. So just, right. just take a deep breath. If they insult you, let it go. And, and if it does escalate, let, 
let the authorities take care of it. But of course, yeah, if they're attacking women and children and going crazy, you know, if you've got to restrain them and help take them down so that they can get the zip ties on the guy, uh, I think you're in the clear, legally speaking. Though, of course, always they can hire some Mm -hmm. scuzzy lawyer somewhere who will represent them and maybe cause some problems for you. But in the end, you will prevail. Sam joins us from Sam and Ash Injury Law. So I saw an accident, a pedestrian accident, with a car as I was walking from the Canelo Triple G fight after the fight back to the Cosmopolitan. People are on the Las Vegas Boulevard on the Strip, and they're making rights into parking lots, and they're not looking at the lights. So they're in between the big traffic lights from one property to the next, but they want to make a right onto a side street or into one of these drop-off points. And you can never, Sam realize you're supposed to stop at the light and clear it but there's a lot of confusion as people try to get through these lights try to run through these yellows try to get to the other side and then all of a sudden they get clipped what do we have to worry about with this as a driver and especially as a pedestrian because the las vegas strip is the wild wild west again oh my gosh is it ever right so i'm you're right you're correct to say both parties need to watch out Drivers, a lot of you are doing exactly the right thing, like I am on the strip, driving at the speed limit, when suddenly someone, some idiot, jumps the railing and and does a runner across you know the street on a Friday night. And I see that too, and I'm sure you have as well, JT. It's just unbelievable. And then you have people crossing legally on a cross in, in a crosswalk on the walk sign. And you have people making, you know, clipping in at right-hand turns. You've got people making left-hand turns, believe it or not, completing left-hand turns late, going on red lights. So as pedestrians, friends, watch out. Just because you have the walk sign doesn't mean that some driver, some guy out there, somebody that's that's under the influence has any respect for, for what's going on in that intersection. You just always have to assume the worst and be very, very vigilant and aware of all vehicles around you. It's so important. We will talk to you after the anniversary of 1 October and what that means to you and Ashley in this town. I want to get ahead of this because I know how much you do in the community with Ashley, and that's a date that's coming up. I don't like to use the word anniversary, but it's a date that will be you never forgotten here in Las Vegas and what that means to you being a part of this community as people are still healing from 1 October. I moved here right after it happened, JT, and you, yeah. you know my story. And I, um, so I, I came into into the into the community in the aftermath of it. And of course, you know, there's there's the there's the pain, the loss, and the the anger, right? The righteous anger that somebody did this to our town. And then there's the other part of it. I think there's the legacy from it that I don't want to say celebrate, but but the that we can be we can be proud of a little bit in how we came together as a city following that tragedy and we did and i i think now that we're you know 5 years past i one thing that we need to maintain really strongly is one of course the memory of the victims um a, a renew our respect for the first responders that came out there and mm-hmm. and Man, I'm going to get emotional. That ran into harm's way, okay? Yep. And then finally, JT, you know, we we can't forget, especially as we're going into an election cycle and all this, you know, drama that we have going. We, we find all these ways that we're different. Well, guess what? We're all Las Vegans. We're all Nevadans. And one thing that came out of that day 
is we we can you know we we can remember that and and be a community and be one city one town one people and i think that's you know that's what we need to to maintain nicely said uh for the impact that 9 11 had on this country and the impact of one october in vegas highly emotional you're right this should be bringing the community together in these insane times and this is coming up right around the corner that's sam from sam and ash injury law 702-820-1234 you always hear me saying they're not only my friends they're my business partners here on the radio 702-820-1234 and go to the website samandashlaw.com because you deserve what's right sam i'm serious let's get together before the weekend or during the weekend get a raider victory get this back on track I'm here. Let's do it. All right. There he is, Sam and Ash. Appreciate Sam coming in here. And congratulations to Ashley winning a case, a $2.7 million settlement. They're winners. They know what's right. Uh, Go to SamAndAshLaw.com. That's it. We were packed today. I'm sorry if we didn't get to your phone calls. Uh, Harry Ruiz will tomorrow. He's in for me. I'll be back on Thursday, Friday. Friday, I'm hosting my podcast from 4 to 6 in the lobby of Virgin Hotels. Come on out. Have a cold one. Have a Modelo. Uh, shake hands. Let's get ready behind this. There's a lot of Raider activations going on this weekend. It's a big weekend. Looking outside, it looks like a summer weekend. So get outside. Get on the strip. Uh, go to your favorite establishment. It could be a PT's. Be positive. I just saw Lester Hayes, the judge, and we're texting as we speak right now. Lester Hayes. One of the greatest corners of all time just tweeted, excuse me, put this on Facebook 12 minutes ago. Dear Raider Nation, I hope you and your family are doing fine. Keep the Raider faith. Coach McDaniels is very smart. He and his staff will solve all malfunctions and win. The judge. That's it. It's positive vibes from someone who's really positive. And then you have idiots underneath him saying stupid stuff because it's social media put your thumbs away put your thumbs away and watch the football game if you're going to be mad be angry call my show and exercise your demons that way don't hide behind your thumbs come out and talk about it and have an opinion and look people in the eyes raiders need a win we all know that here on raider nation radio we're doing our best to keep you inspired to stay in this thing One win could get it all going again. Q on deck always has a big show. I'll catch you back on Thursday. Catch me tonight on Sirius XM 82 from 6 to 9 p.m. Great job, Bobby.